welcome to Sparkler Podcast number 37. Today we're talking about editing in sort of a broad topic. I am, as usual, Rebecca, the managing editor and uh, audio person. I'm Lillian diaz Prisbel. I'm the comics editor, or primary comics editor. Now kind of everybody's editing comics. I'm Leanne Centaur. I primarily edit prose. But one thing that Lillian didn't say, but will probably come up in this podcast, is in her day job, she edits film. Yes, I work for a small production company that does everything from web videos to live streaming to TV to feature films. So I have kind of a video editing background now as well. Okay, so uh, in terms of where we want to start, I think it's kind of interesting that we're talking about editing both, uh, you know, things like film and audio and prose and comics in the same uh, way despite the fact that they have really, really different technical skills involved. Mm -hmm. So Lillian, as somebody who is like constantly working in both mediums, what do do you think is the connection there? Um, I mean, editing is sort of a pure concept, whether you're going from your basic copy editing of making sure that grammar and punctuation is correct, all the way up to like high level cinematic editing is all about making your viewer or your reader understand what you're trying to convey. So sometimes you want to edit for clarity or to to get the effect that you're trying to present to them. So if you're editing a newspaper article, you're going to be editing for clarity and for accuracy, um, in addition to making sure all the words are spelled right, because that's something that will interfere with somebody's ability to comprehend it. If you're editing a prose novel, um, you're editing for narrative flow, you're editing for style, you're editing for structure to make sure that you know, things are happening the way you want them to and that the reader is comprehending this this concept and this these characters and this narrative the way you want them to. Um, if you're editing a comic, you have all of the sort of things that you're doing story-wise from uh, a novel, but now you're adding a visual layer on top of it of does this sequence of events make sense visually? Can the reader follow what's happening? Um, how can I control what the reader is seeing and how they're kind of moving through the page? Um, And then if you're talking video editing, um, you're adding motion and sound kind of on top of that. So it's all of the same story and clarity and character and narrative. And now, um, do these visuals make sense? Are they conveying what I want them to convey? How does audio fit into that? Um, How does sound design affect um, somebody's perception of something? And, you know, an okay editor, even a good editor, sort of gets the the clarity and the smoothness and then really great editors are the ones I think who can, who know how to change things around and really layer meaning on in much more sophisticated ways. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. a great way to, I mean, Lillian's an incredibly experienced (laughs) editor as you can say, (laughs) and and you've worked in a lot of formats as well. But Um, I'm not a prose editor. Like that's really not my strength. So, um, no, but like, you've, you've read so much prose. And like you I said, have read a lot of prose. Yeah, yeah. personally, I, I wrote on one of the sparkler schools on this a long time ago. In my opinion, that like the three key things about any piece of work is a clarity, like you said, cohesion, and mm-hmm. um, being engaging. So like at, at all points, a story should be clear, cohesive, and engaging, um, which, which kind of ties into what you were saying there, right? You want you want a clarity of style. You want kind of to be at the point, beginning your point across. And I think that, um, that the fact that it has to keep people there, <laughs> I think, mm-hmm. is also – that's a fundamental storytelling aspect. But that's also something that you as the editor, as the person sort of outside of the story, can help with uh, and sometimes that a creator can't see. Now, that said, part of what we wanted to talk about in this podcast was how to edit your own work, which is mm-hmm. a necessary <laughs> step that I think everybody who creates knows – Okay, here we go. Time to edit. And some people love it and some people hate it. Um, and I know Rebecca has stuff she wants to talk about regarding relationships between an, uh, a creator and an outside editor, which I know is something that is rife with anxiety for a lot of people. And we wanted to try to <laughs> soothe people's souls a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also how to be critical of your own work. Um, because uh, as Lily was saying about things like you know, clarity and, and effectiveness of the tools and the format that you're using uh, – there's kind of a difference between being being able to do that to your own work and then getting somebody outside of it to also give you advice because art is never really created in a vacuum. 
not just in terms of your inspiration, but also in terms of how do you polish it? And almost every work benefits from having an outside perspective with a couple exceptions, mm -hmm. you know, because sometimes there can be a toxic outside perspective that you don't want. But usually people who are the purpose is to edit a work, they want it to be better. That That's the entire. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think the, you know, it, it doesn't benefit from just any outside perspective. It benefits from. Yes. A like like the right outside perspective, and I think that anyone yeah. who thinks their work does not benefit from an outside perspective needs to needs to go find somebody better to look at it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I mean, if I'm gonna just, <laughs> I just I I know that so many people have the horror stories about that teacher or that person who like crushed their dreams and told yeah. them they suck, and I'm like, that's not productive in any way. But you know, also you have to be able to hear criticism. Sorry, I'm yeah, getting I mean, off it's, topic. It's a funny, bit. there's there's sort of two parallel things of yeah. like, you both need to be able to edit your own work, and you need to be able to let other people edit your own work. <laughs> so yeah. like, and they're both, I don't want to say equally important, but they're both extremely important. Because oh God, like, yeah. on the one hand, you need to be sort of your own most critical reader to mm -hmm. some extent. But then you're never going to really know how things are being perceived by someone else until you let someone else see it. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, you know, unless you're writing a journal that's personal and that's just for you and, and your cat, <laughs> like the whole point of writing something or, or creating something is to share it with other people. And if they're not getting what you want them to get, and hopefully you have a sense of what you want them to get, then something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And like the question is, did you show it to the wrong person? Are they not your target audience after all? Or is there something that you need to be doing differently with how you're presenting this and how you're creating something in order to convey what it is you want to convey? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's really hard. <laughs> I know. It's incredibly oh, yeah. hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, okay. I don't, I don't sell this short in any way, shape or form. No, no. I, think, I think being receptive to criticism is one of the <laughs> genuinely hardest things to do as an artist. And I think, being your own best critic without tearing yourself apart and without getting in your own way is also really hard. Like mm -hmm. I'm thinking of what I've sort of been reblogging on, on the Sparkler Tumblr, which tends to be very heavily towards like writing and art inspiration. Um, mm -hmm. Just cause that's what I comes up on my own feed. Um, and like the idea of being able to kind of get that first draft out there to kind of put something down on the page or, or to get that, whatever it is your initial idea to kind of get it all out there and not sort of trip yourself up on making that first draft perfect um, is really important. And then you want to be able to go back to that first draft and tear it apart. But like, don't start tearing apart until it's all there. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, that's the other hard thing is actually, like, instead of, you know, rewriting your first chapter nine times, actually finishing whatever you're doing. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. like you're not going to know a lot of things until you have sort of the whole shape of it out in the world. Like there's so many things that I think you learn by going through that full process. Um, just going to kind of we're going to be skipping around a lot because I think yeah. we're all a little stream of consciousness right now. Um, <laughs> it's one of the late. things that I one of the best pieces of storytelling advice that I got was from a friend of mine who is a TV writer, um, and we were working on something when I was at Tokyo Pop. And she said that in one of the writing rooms where she was, um, I think I've talked about this before, but it's always good to bring up because I think it's fun. A really good challenge for yourself when you're coming up with a new creative story. We're not going to talk about like, you know, factional or whatever, nonfiction writing, <laughs> factual <laughs> writing. See if you can define what your story is about in one word. What is that one thing that expresses the root of what you're trying to tell, the root of your story? And the example that she gave was about uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV show. She said, fundamentally, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is about loneliness. And there's like teen angst that goes on top of it. And obviously, it's about fighting vampires and, you know, <laughs> being true to yourself and whatever. But like so many, many of the stories in Buffy, both from Buffy's perspective and from the perspective of the people around her and the monsters that she deals with, kind of come back to this idea of loneliness and trying to connect to other beings, human or otherwise, which is a really profound way to, <laughs> to look at that series. But it's a really interesting exercise. So like when we get pitches in, uh, whether at my day job or whether for Sparkler, and I start working with a new artist, you know, that's one of the things I'll ask is like, can you define in one word what your story is about? So like Jen Doyle and I talked about this for uh, Knights Errant, 
And in the case of Knights Errant, I think what that one word is, is kind of evolving as the story evolves. But and sometimes it's really easy to think of that. And sometimes it's really hard, but it's always a really interesting exercise to kind of what was what's what... really at the core of what you're trying to tell. And like, in sort of English class terms, it's sort of what the theme of your story is. What's really the theme? Right. But this is like a different way of getting at that idea. What, what were I think the words it, you were discussing for Knights Aaron? Now I really want to know. <laughs> and, um, were they not really relevant anymore? I'm not sure that we ever really totally came up with one. I think the best that we sort of talked about was like reinvention, maybe. It's like the obvious thing is revenge. Uh, it's It's fundamentally a revenge story. But how does that play out into what Will's long-term goals are and what they're going to be when the story ends? Oh, actually, I think my suggestion, and I'm not sure if, if Doyle went with this or not, was forgiveness, which is the opposite of revenge. And, <laughs> but they're like... <laughs> but there's there's a lot of levels to that, which could be interesting of, of not just forgiving people who have harmed you or who have wronged you, but kind of forgiving yourself as well for failing or for not being what people expect. Or I, I thought there was a lot that could be teased out looking at it through that lens. And I guess we'll just have to see where things go from here. <laughs> yeah. And we did so. that with a lot of our series. I remember like the, the year one lineup, because you brought this up a long time ago, and I really yeah, liked yeah. this exercise. It's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, and and so we had. I'm remembering like, offbeat. I think discovery was was mm -hmm. part of that. Dead endings was acceptance, or at least mm -hmm. these these were words that we were discussing. I can't remember how yeah. many creators were like agreeing with this. Is what <laughs> editorial was thinking. Um, awake was definitely sacrifice, which is uh, like the, the core theme of that. Yep. Tokyo demons. I think uh, eventually I went with community mm -hmm. stuff like that, where it's like. I think that is really helpful. And I think that's a good way for people to start this editorial process is to break mm -hmm. down your very complicated story and all of its nuance and all of its characters and backstory and all that and bring it down to what theme you're trying to get across and whether or not you are getting that across. And mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think that we're kind of starting a little bit by talking about external editors. Do you think we should start by talking about an external person or should we talk about internally? Maybe internally. Like, how do you edit your own work? No, go ahead. You, this is yeah. the thing that you, I think you have the most hmm. experience with, because mostly I've been editing other people's work, or editing works like an audio drama where it's the work of a lot of different people, uh, whereas you're yeah, the I one... Don't, I don't know if I have much to add to it either. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, I, I do a little bit, but I think you're going to get the most out of it, so, so go for it. <laughs> well, I, I liked what you said earlier about putting things you know, whatever it takes you to get something on the page. And I remember something mm -hmm. Rebecca said a long time ago. I feel like this might have been George R.R. R. Martin was talking about the different types of writers and how people create and then polish a work. And then mm. he had some theory about they were like the Masons versus the, um, I don't remember what the name was, was people who. Yeah. Hmm? Gardeners, I think versus like mm. architects or I don't know, something like that where it was, yeah. uh, See, I, I can't remember the actual metaphor. I'm sure it was very, very beautiful and, and whatever. But basically, the people who just get a million words on the page and then prune them down, or be the gardeners yeah. versus the people who take a long time getting those words out and choose them very carefully and then don't have to edit as much. And talking about how both versions of that were equally valid, even though sometimes people get kind of prickly about their version, I guess. I don't know. Right. Well, it, what made me think of that was I, I hadn't thought that critically about how I wrote prose anyway, and that, it, like, which version of that, because usually when it comes to Sparkler, it's like, is it finished was usually the question. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to, like, where are you in your process? Like, is it done? Hand it to me. Um, as anybody would know from working on, like, monthly serials. But there was a point where I had to edit something for somebody in real time where they were I had to rewrite something in real time mm. while somebody was watching me. Um, and it was like a little chunk of, you know, one of these bigger projects, audio or game or, and um, they were on like Google drive with me. And I was like, okay, I'll write this section. Just give me like five minutes. And so I became hyper aware of kind of being looked at over the, my shoulder, which is mm. why I noticed how I was doing it. Um, and I found that I didn't do the, uh, even though I really like editing, I found that I wasn't really doing the throw everything on a page and then fix it style mm. because, you know, everybody's different, but I was constantly editing while I was writing it. So like I'd write a sentence 
go back, eliminate the second half of the sentence and rewrite it and then do it another sentence, then, you know, two sentences down, then go one sentence back that, which I think is the, the architect or whatever that J. R. George R. R. Martin said. Maybe Basically, it was Storm Mason, I don't know. <laughs> right, right. But the, the real-time editing, mm-hmm. which I, I don't know, I, I mean, I think people just naturally have an inclination one way versus the other. I think also, you know, in the mindset that you're in, uh, if, if editing is important to you versus... Like, I guess, how important editing to you, what makes you comfortable? Yeah, I think it's also partially... Oh, sorry, not... Sorry, say what you're saying. No, go go ahead. No, but also partially, like, can you bear to read a draft that's really bad? Yeah. Because you can't be a gardener if you can't bear to read a draft that's really bad. I I think that's a good point. Um, I... This is also partially a time thing. I never really had... By the time... I was always so late (laughs) on everything that... I didn't, by the time I was done, I was so exhausted. I didn't really want to go back much. I, at that point, I would have somebody outside of me mm. look at it, and then I would go do it, um, go back and make the necessary edits. So George R.R. Martin's two categories are architects versus gardeners. And so oh, gardeners just sort of dig a hole and plant a seed and then water it with blood sweat before uh, waiting to see what'll come up. It's not totally random because you know whether you've planted an oak tree or a pumpkin, but there's a little bit of a surprise to what's oh. happening as opposed to... The architect, who I guess probably has more structure. Thanks, so, Google. I think I think basically we took this quote and made it mean something else. So <laughs> <laughs> that's how we all half remembering something. That sounds like I, mean, no, I think I think you're just talking about the architect rather than gardener, and it just yeah. the quote that I found doesn't explain the architect; it only explains the gardener. No, <laughs> so but I, like, I think whatever the opposite that, of the that, gardener is. That quote sounds a lot more like the overall structure of a story, whereas we're talking a little bit more about how you actually get the words on the page. Ah, you know that makes sense yeah yeah yeah. now i think also everybody thinks a lot before they write anything down i think um with a couple exceptions i think some people are just like i'm bored and they (laughs) rev up kind of like get a page a piece of paper or something i find that i think a lot about a lot of elements of like even a scene before i sit down and start it so that partially drives why i like to do the real-time editing because it's like i have a picture Mm. in my head and i want it to come out like that there's always stuff that organically happens once I start writing because the flow of a scene will kind of take over and it's like new up possibilities open up. And I think that's something that people need to um, be aware happens because I know some people get stuck in things like writer's block or they're just like they're too scared to do something. They don't have an ending to a scene planned. And I think there is there's kind of a process that happens once you start working on something and kind of getting in the mindset that things will bloom after you get the ball rolling. So like. Mm-hmm that's why I keep thinking of sort of the architect point of view that 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 kind of appealed to me where it's like okay I, I, I'd rather just spend a lot of time planning and then spend a lot of time doing it and then be mostly done <laughs> as opposed to going back as opposed to when I was younger where I really liked just throwing everything on the page and then going back and rearranging it and stuff I, I like what you said earlier about how both points are equally valid it just sort of depends how your thought process works I think mm-hmm. everybody kind of knows that if you're going to go back and edit a lot, like if you're that kind of a person, don't spend too long on your first draft. Like give yourself a little bit of slack. Uh, if you were like, oh my God, I, I I don't know which way I edit. I don't know which way I'm going to make this good. Like since either really works, <laughs> hmm. um, whatever feels right to you at the moment, don't overthink it. I, I do think that uh, a lot of people write these really beautiful posts online about creative process or how you find inspiration. And I like all of those things. I think it's really valuable Mm -hmm. to kind of write that stuff down. But I also think sometimes people ascribe a lot of meaning and emotion to the process of creating when sometimes you don't need that. (laughs) Sometimes you have like a stupid idea in your head and you write it down. You're like, oh, this is kind of good. And then you turn it into a novel or, you know, Mm -hmm. you, you just, you're, you're writing something indulgent. Like I think some people, I've seen a lot of artists, they put a picture on Twitter and they're like, I know this is really self-indulgent, but, and it's like a piece of fan art or whatever. And it's like, you don't have to apologize for creating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't be too precious about things, but you shouldn't apologize for them either. Like yeah. I think one of my favorite quotes, which is going to come up in the sparkler queue on Tumblr sooner rather than later is like, if you are writing, you're a writer. If you are making art, you're an artist. Like all you need to do is be engaging in that process and you've already succeeded. Like whether or not you're struggling, like wherever you are in that. And like, I don't, I feel like that's not overly romanticizing it because it's not like, oh, I'm just going to go into my garden and 
let the muses inspire me and blah blah um because like i think Which that's is also kind of valid. i mean like people I mean, can do that but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, you know again but that that feels a little bit like that you're doing it i mean i guess any sort of art creation you're sort of doing it for yourself but like if you're doing it to share with other people then you have to get it done and i think the other thing is as much as you're going to strive to and you should strive to convey what your goals are to your audience it's always also going to be an imperfect process you're never going to fully succeed i think in what you <laughs> and you have to not let that drive you crazy and and that's true on all levels there's so many things that are going to get in the way of you fully realizing your ideal uh, whether it's a deadline whether it's personal crisis <laughs> whether it's artist block whether it's a terrible editor who doesn't understand your vision, um, whether it's a readership that just doesn't get you, you know, there's a million things that are going to kind of get in the way and, and be a roadblock. And like, that's just how it is. <laughs> you just yeah. have to keep going. <laughs> and, yes. and, you know, you're, you're never going to have as much time as you want. You're never going to have as much yeah. money as you want. Um, you're never, people are never going to understand you as much as you want, but it's the striving that kind of matters. It's, it's sort yeah. of the, the kind of continuing to go towards that goal is is worthy and valid right yeah. I, I remember many years ago when i was in like a writing group in like ugh, like fucking middle school there was uh i heard about a writer whose process was he had to write four perfect pages per day oh my and, god <laughs> i know right like <laughs> that mean? <laughs> i mean it's funny because he, he said some days were really easy and some days were horrible but that was how he kind of got things on the page. I think a lot of professionals have to make compromises. And I'm the first to say that, you know, part of the reason why I haven't written anything in so long is because my process is so intense that if I'm not fully mentally there, I can't even yeah. start. And so I haven't had a lot of mentally open days and thus it stagnates. And I, in that case, I wish I could be a little bit more flexible. And this podcast is making me want to go and try like maybe gardening <laughs> style, just get it done. It just has to get done. But yeah, like whatever, I mean, this is a little bit process and not just editorial, but whatever you need to get to the point where now you can polish it. If that's in real time, if that's after the point, like the polishing stage, in my opinion, should be the, should be kind of the happy part. Because like, I think that so many people struggle to just get something done that when you're in the editing phase, you should feel accomplished <laughs> if that makes sense like that's how I always feel about it that it's like editorial it's like actually getting something on the page is one thing but as I'm fixing it I'm like yeah yeah good yeah this one okay good okay let me be let me be clear to all of the like anxious writers who struggle and struggle and struggle Leanne was someone who really liked getting tests back because she wanted to see how good it was and stuff like that like not everyone's gonna feel oh, I like that being way. judged yeah you like being judged <laughs> Oh, God. Whereas, like, you know, I know a lot of us, uh, you know, because I the, the, the whole sensitive artist thing is a cliche for a reason. And it's mm -hmm. fucking hard to, like, you know, yeah. work on something and then look at it and be all like, this is terrible. And sometimes it is terrible. And sometimes it's just your brain telling you it's terrible because, you know, our brains are all jerks. That's a good point know? about you have to. Well, I do think you have to be your biggest, your own biggest fan. I mean, I know yeah. some people worry about the egotism yeah. there. And, and it's true that you know, there's a fine line between sort of supporting yourself and being unwilling to listen to anybody's outside criticism of you. Yeah. But I do strongly believe that you've got to like what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, even if it's not perfect, yeah. you have to be like proud of yourself for getting it done. You have to enjoy your OCs. I think a lot of people can relate to that. You have to find the story interesting. And like, because if, if you don't believe in yourself, it's going to be very hard to keep things going because it's a really sensitive process mm -hmm. creation. But, but I do also think that if you don't love what you're doing in that you like creating and you want to create, but you're not happy with the work you're putting out, that's okay because liking your own work is a process. And sometimes part of it yeah. is that your taste is just at a point where your technical skills can't match. And I know that I've, I've you know... God, I had so much trouble listening to early chapters of Awake when I was working on that, just because I heard every mm -hmm. imperfection. I heard every every single part, and you know, I I don't want to like I don't like I don't like bad mouthing my own work because, and I don't think anyone should bad mouth their own work. And I think it's really important that 
you know, people break that habit of being all like, here's my art. It sucks. It really sucks. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, like, the number of times I've, like, you know, because I like to read fanfic and stuff, and the number of times I've gotten to the end of a fic that I'm like, you know, this isn't the world's greatest piece of fiction, but I enjoy the crap out of it. And someone's like, yeah, I know it's bad. And I'm just like, you know, like, you're basically insulting me because I liked your work, you know? Uh, <laughs> And I, I mean, like I don't know people aren't thinking about it that way, but it is kind of that. Like, you know, don't don't insult your audience by telling them they have bad taste if they like the things you did, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think there's a difference between, like, knowing internally that you still have a goal that you want to achieve and that there's, like, another signpost that you're aiming for without saying what I'm doing sucks and that it's not it's not good enough. Yeah, you do have to you have to find the way to not think that you suck. And I think telling yourself that you suck yeah. and allowing yourself to put it out there to other people that you suck, having a better attitude is going to make you feel better anyway, you know? And I think just finding the things about your work that you do like, even if you hate the way you draw bodies or whatever, you know, finding the things that you do like and, and think you do well is really important because you can you can use that, you know? And I think yeah. the other thing to remember is that, like, it's always a process. Like, mm -hmm. everything right. is a process. Life is a process. And you're always getting better. You're always going to have different perspective on things. So, like, when I first uh, started working at Tokyo Pop, you know, I'd come out of, you know, a really prestigious liberal arts college. I was, you know, Miss Smarty Pants. Um, <laughs> and like, I did fine. You know, I knew a lot about anime and manga. Like that was one of my big selling points to the company is that I was a genuine fan who could walk in with a fan's perspective and still have enough sort of critical awareness to be like, just because I like something doesn't mean I think it's going to sell. But uh, it's it's a learning experience. So like the first I was, I don't know, editing like a couple books a month at that point, uh, mostly uh, licensed titles. And, you know, after six months, we would get print copies in for the stuff that I was doing. And like, even after six months, I was catching mistakes that I'd missed initially. Or like, there's things that I was doing in those first couple months that six months later, I was like, ooh, I wouldn't do that now. Mm -hmm. And then like, three or four years later, when I'd had a lot more experience under my belt, I had hundreds of titles and or hundreds of volumes there were things that were absolutely cringeworthy um, <laughs> yeah. from, from my perspective. Um, but it's not necessarily something that like your average reader was going to pick up on. Mm -hmm. um, sure. There was going to be a few people or, you know, choices that people were going to disagree with me about, but I had a much better knowledge and understanding of my craft at that point. And that's kind of informed how I do things now. And like every six months, you're going to look back and be like, Oh man, what was I thinking? <laughs> but like, <laughs> that's a good thing because it means you're in a new place now. It's like you're learning something. You've you've grown as an artist and a creator, and as you know, somebody who works in content. Like, if you're not having that reaction, you may not be challenging yourself enough. And like, but that's okay. It doesn't mean the old stuff was bad. It's just different. Yeah. Sometimes it means yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's okay. I mean, bad stuff does really well sometimes too. I mean, think about like so many of these really. You got to do bad stuff before you make good stuff. I think mm -hmm. that's like that's like the biggest thing, and that's something that everybody I think who is a professional content creator, no matter what their thing is, is like you got to make stuff that's bad before you can make stuff that's good. You got to learn how to do it wrong um, before you can figure out how to do it right, and. Mm -hmm. Right and wrong are such arbitrary categories. It's like right for you, uh, right for the audience that you're going for. Um, and you're not going to know that. You know, you're, you can read all the articles you want to. You can listen to all the podcasts that you yeah. want to with women talking about this. You're never going to know what's right for you until you start doing it Yeah. and start making mistakes. One so. other thing, and this is, I don't know how useful this will be to people, but um, personally, I read my own work a lot over and over. I mean, like after it's out, I, I know that sometimes there's a little bit of anxiety about that because like you said, a lot of times you're like, what was I thinking? Yeah. <laughs> and there's definitely a certain era before which I cannot go. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like I'm so far removed for it that I'm like, no, I'm just kind of embarrassed even just thinking about hey, I've that. Got, I've got copies of Rain, you know, somewhere in this house. Yeah, like that book I wrote when I was a teenager. Don't read it. It's bad. But like, <laughs> part of the way that I think I improved and also became a little bit more shielded against outside, you know, shielded against sort of the being really sensitive about it was yeah. when something, whenever like I worked on something and it came out, I would read it again. And I, I kind of found it enjoyable. Just, I think somebody once called it like mental masturbation was like revisiting your work. <laughs> um, and I did that a lot like I, I think for a while I was reading my own stuff more than I was reading anybody else's 
which is not necessarily healthy, but just I was I had so many episodes <laughs> today that I was reading and most of it was like, okay, what's the stuff that I put out last month, or especially like with manga and whatever. Um, and as a result, like I had a, I've always had a really good grasp on what my, my limits are and, and what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. Uh, and that evolves over time because mm-hmm. I'm sort of constantly thinking about what I've done. So when I talk about like being your own biggest fan and how important that is, it was sort of like I was a super like over the shoulder editor of myself a lot. So I became intimately aware of areas and, and, and stuff that I, so when I was in a good mood, (laughs) I would look at it and be like, Hey, that was really good. I should do more of that. And I found also that was really effective when I was in a block, if I, Mm. or I didn't really know where to start, I'd be like, okay, you really like, remember that script you did on bubble ball, pick that up and read it again and get into that mindset that I had when I, you know, adapted that script and then try again. So to kind of like encourage myself to remember what it, is I had done right in the past. And as a result, like, I feel very self-aware about everything that I make now. Because even if I'm, because I, I usually forget a lot of stuff after I write it. <laughs> I have <laughs> some health issues that kind of fuck with my memory a little bit. And in addition to that, I'm often writing on no sleep <laughs> and kind of from the brainstem. So sometimes I read it the next morning and I'm like, oh, I totally forgot <laughs> that, I, that I did that. And especially several months later, like, oh my God, I forgot I did that. But it's kind of like a new discovery every time I read it. I'm like, oh, I forgot that I did that. I should probably follow up in the next chapter or I'll look like an idiot. So I don't know. I, I think sometimes that if, if you're really embarrassed about the old stuff that you've done, I think I would recommend that maybe you should try rereading it like shortly after you do it. Not only several years later when you're feeling bad about yourself. You don't have to go to like, your middle school writing journal. No, no, exactly. It's like when you're done with it, and you take a little break, go back and read it again, if you can. I, I know that's difficult for people in the sort of different stages of it, but that's made me a little bit more, I, I'm just, I'm not scared of stuff that I've written in the past anymore, mm-hmm. whereas I think I was a little bit more when I was younger. Yeah. I think it's really important to have distance on things too. So yeah. like for me, even just personal writing, if I'm sending an email or like something that I think that's sensitive, I'll often write it and then save it in my drafts folder and read it again the next day. Like I yeah. like to sleep on things. Yeah. You know, if, when I'm writing the the blog posts for Sparkler, um, when the new issues come out, I'll often try and like do a draft of it and then look at it again the next day. It's actually, this is a piece of advice from Stephen King. He has a, a really, whatever you think about Stephen King is, you know, creative force. I actually like him quite a bit. He's a really consistent, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, a long and extremely successful career, and he's very productive. And he has a really excellent book called On Writing that's like 50% yes. his biography of how he was a terrible writer and like super coked out in like the 80s. Um, <laughs> and then how he went off of coke and still managed to be an okay writer. So don't let, you know, chemicals fuel your creativity. That's not necessary. He's like, I wish I could remember writing Cujo, but I can't. <laughs> that's fucked up. Yikes. But then he actually, the second half of the book is, is a lot of extremely practical tips about creative discipline. And like, that works for Stephen King. It may not work for everybody, but he's definitely one of those, like, I sit down for four hours every day and I just write. And it may be shit, it may be whatever, but I do it and I have the discipline to do it. And he's a big advocate of whatever, you get your first draft out and then stick it in a drawer for six months and then read it later. And then that's when you start your editorial process is when it's had a time to kind of cool off and for it not to be fresh in your head again. And then you can start tearing it apart and figuring it out, like what works and what doesn't. Mm. And that works if you're, you know, a best-selling author who's got the time and ability to sit on a manuscript for six months. Mm. (laughs) You know, your mileage may vary with the the specifics of that technique. Yeah, well, (laughs) that one will work. But I think it's really valuable to like, if you have the opportunity to let something cool a bit before you jump into the editorial process. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the artists that we work with will literally just say, I want to hang on to this for a day or two. You know, like like if they finish something ahead of time. Uh, I'm thinking yeah. of one person in particular, but, you know, she'll always say, basically, I'll hand it in on Thursday after I've had a chance to, like, look at it again and make sure that tomorrow everyone's bodies still look regular to me, you know? <laughs> right, and that I haven't drawn two left hands on all of my characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. Man, I wish we could. Um, we can do this uh, podcast again, maybe with, I'm really curious about the creative process of, of editorial and a lot of our creators, because we talked to them a lot about how, how they get inspired and, and how they work, but we haven't talked to them that much about editorial on their mm-hmm. end. I'd be really curious to hear that. Yeah, that's true, actually. 
I mean, I know what I'm looking for. So let's talk a little bit about kind of our, our, how we approach a project editorially. And I'm happy to go first here because yes. I have some ideas about it. Mm-hmm. I'm really big on structure. I like when things have a structure that I can kind of look at and poke at and tear apart. And I will try and sort of move things around in order to create a structure if I don't think they have a structure. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's a lot more complicated than just like, beginning, middle and end, although that's actually pretty important. (laughs) (laughs) Particularly for short stories, we get a lot of like beginning and middle, it doesn't really have an end Mm. or things that just feel like there's there's a chunk missing. And there's different ways you can approach that, whether it's a three act structure or five act structure. And like, things don't need to be that formal. I think, you know, all of the stuff that you learned in your English class about how to kind of set something up and how to build it. Those are guidelines. And, and guidelines are meant to be moved around and kind of shifted as, as you need to. But it's good to know what they are. It's like, I'm a big fan of knowing what the rules are so I know how to break them. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's a lot of what I tend to look for when I start on kind of a high-level story project. Like, what's the structure? How do things progress? Where does, where's the twist? Where do things get interesting? Where do we find out that this is not what we think it's about? And then how does that affect things later on? And I'm always impressed by writers who can trick me mm. or kind of lead me down one path and then be like, nope, that's surprise. That's not what you thought it was. <laughs> I, I always find that really exciting. So Oh, agreed. Definitely. It's all about knowing like what, what the expectations are and then how to subvert them, mm-hmm. which I think is often very structural. Yeah. Yeah. That no, I mean, I, I agree. I think that that particular... Uh, that works for some stories better than others because, you know, I, I'm thinking about some people in particular who are doing something that's a lot more slice of life, a lot less, you know, things that are built on in a more episodic way or in a more kind of meandering way. Or even, you know, because we're working with serials, people who don't even necessarily have that ending planned out because their story is just going to kind of keep going for a while because it's not, sure. you know, it's not that directional. I mean, personally, when I'm editing with people, a lot of it is about sort of, this is going to sound weird, I guess, but like I, when I'm, when I'm going into one of these projects, I kind of take it at very much a meeting the other people where they're at kind of way. Mm-hmm. Like, like I try to uh, really get into what their story is, what it needs, and and try to kind of fit into that. Because I feel like the people mm. I'm working with, you know, when we're, when we're getting with somebody for Sparkler, obviously they know what they're doing to a certain extent. And I mean, I've taken some, like, like freelance jobs. Like, I've never been, like, the head ed- editor at an organization or an editor in a big organization or anything like that. But I've done so much of this, like, small-time kind of freelance stuff that, I, that mm-hmm. I think I kind of learned that you do have to really meet people where they're at. Because sometimes I'll get something where it's like, this is incoherent you don't know how many pages of comic script you need to be in a comic we need to start at the beginning versus people who you know like I think some of the people I'm working with are self-taught so they've got like really really good fundamentals in some areas but they don't really know how to set up a scene so we're working on on a scene level some people like you know they have an idea that kind of they have a really good idea but their reach kind of exceeds their grasp so we're kind of cutting it down you know what I mean like like I feel like uh, my job as an editor a lot of the time is to kind of fill in the gaps that the person I'm working with needs filled in and be that yeah. perspective of the greater market, be the perspective of the the beta reader, be the perspective of, you know, just that brain that's outside of theirs, somebody who knows how stories work, somebody who knows, like, what a mystery needs versus what a slice of life needs, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I, I go about it, because I feel like, I, I know I've said this before, that... Uh, and this is like content editing, not like copy editing or something like that, but specifically content editing with a comic or a novel or something like that. So much of it, I feel like the really good ones are about having a relationship where you know this story almost as well as the person who's writing it and you mm-hmm. know what their characters would do. And if you if you're if you and the author disagree, it's because they didn't explain something properly or they need mm-hmm. to you know what I mean? So so you can always kind of see where where they should be going and kind of tweak things and, you know, I've been looking a lot at kind of not the whole 
macro story, but but the pieces of it, you know, mm-hmm. going going over scenes, how to make the scenes themselves more interesting, how to give them flow. That whole establishing shot mm-hmm. thing is specifically something I've been working on with somebody. I think it's uh, there are just so many pieces; it's hard to really make it a one size fits all kind of thing. Mm. But yeah, so much of it I do think is I just think- kind of. You saying you have to meet somebody where they are, I think Mm -hmm. is really, really excellent advice. And it's when I see bad editors, Mm -hmm. it's because they're trying to put their vision on an artist who may or may not actually agree with that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's what drives me nuts when I see. And I think it's why editors kind of get a bad name or Mm -hmm. bad rap. People are like, I don't need an editor, you know. Editors are just going to try and control me and blah, blah, blah. And take my vision away. And I'm like, no, 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 (laughs) no. A good editor's job is to help you achieve that vision, Mm -hmm. to figure out what you're really going for and what your vision is and help you get there. They have a lot of different techniques that as a writer, like it's not, it's sort of your job to know, but it's not really your job to know. Like your job as a creator is to like create stuff um, and to focus on creating stuff and kind of getting the work out there and getting it done and doing sort of the high level heavy lifting. And, And I feel like the job of the editor is to say, yes, you got it. No, I don't think you got it. Let me see how I can help you figure out how to how to get it mm-hmm. and to get you there. Mm-hmm. And that can be everything from you need to fix how your sentence structure works because it doesn't make any sense. To, <laughs> I don't think this character introduction is working the way you thought it was. Yeah. To, hey, um, the person was wearing a sash in the last panel and now they're not wearing a sash. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Did you do that on purpose? Mm-hmm. <laughs> did we miss in taking off the sash? Or... <laughs> Or what? And, and yeah, like, I just, I feel like the people I'm working closely with right now, I have, like, a list in my head of, I'm always checking this, 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 and this for this person, and this, 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 and this for this other person, and they're to- they're totally different lists. I mean, obviously, there's overlap, and you're always going to be looking for, like, continuity errors and spelling errors and all that crap, but just mm-hmm. in terms of, like, just knowing the person and knowing their work to the point where you can be, like okay, we're going to have to make, because this is a mystery and it's complicated and this person is worried about how they're presenting the information and I know they've kind of had some places that were iffy before, so we're going to work really hard on making sure things are revealed in an order that makes sense, you know, stuff like that. And it's just this whole, you know, big, big uh, bundle of different techniques you're kind of looking at and ways to fix things I mean, it's sort of hard to explain because I kind of go into it. No, I think that's great. I mean, mm-hmm. and I think honestly, that would be really soothing for a lot of people to hear. <laughs> but I mean, like, that, I do also yeah. feel that like a meeting with your editor, you should leave feeling better about your work than you did oh, before. Absolutely. And if you're mm-hmm. not, mm-hmm. then there's something very wrong, you know? And I mean, obviously, the psychological part is something that I've worked really hard at because, I mean, you know, I've been sort of thinking about this. I think part of it is that I really started become becoming critical of media back when we started Sleep is for the Week, our review blog, back in, like, 2000. Mm. And coming at media from a review perspective, particularly when you're reviewing things that are, you know, that was anime and manga, so the creators, none of them spoke English, you know? People were upset that we didn't like their favorite show, but we weren't insulting the creators ever in a way that they would ever see or understand. Mm. Mm -hmm. We kind of went out it in, like, kind of a snarky tearing stuff down way which obviously is fun you know everybody likes to read reviews of bad movies and stuff sometimes sometimes you want to just sit down and have some like shut in front of like the worst movie ever made and here's why shot for shot or whatever but in terms of actual editorial skills I had to kind of teach myself a how to fix things when somebody the point was not to tear something down and be funny but to fix it and mm-hmm. how to find that like good balance between being a jerk about the bad parts of something versus being too nice to people because you didn't want to hurt their feelings, you know? And, mm-hmm. and and that's something that, you know, as an editor, you kind of, you have to be the one in control because you're not the one who put your stuff, your, your work on the line, you know? Mm-hmm. We've talked about how you have to be, as a creator, you have to be able to take criticism. But I think as an editor, you have to figure out the way to get that critique across so that you're not just so that you can act, so that the person can hear it, you know, so that you're not mm-hmm. getting a person into this 
you know, and obviously it depends on the person. <sighs> there was one or two situations where I, uh, I thought we were all being professional and, and people were mad at me for saying things weren't good, but they <laughs> weren't, you know, so it's tricky. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, you know, just in terms of like, I mean, so all of this is about communication and I don't think we've said that a little bit, the idea that art is communication, mm-hmm. but editorial is communication about communication. So it's like an extra mm-hmm, layer mm-hmm. of complication there. You know, because you have to be able to explain somebody else's communication in a way that they can actually improve it and not get mad at you or shut mm-hmm. down or reject everything you have to say, you know? Well, your, your mm-hmm. editor should be your partner. Yeah, exactly. And as a result, should also be kind of your, your first level cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, other than a lot of people have a sounding board at home, like a friend or a spouse or somebody who's reading it first, maybe before you send it to an editor. But the editor should be there to kind of encourage and love you unconditionally (laughs) Mm -hmm. as a creator and and if they don't do that then they're not really nurturing your talent i mean because Mm -hmm. part of when people love you unconditionally is they do try to correct you when you're wrong or or help you grow yeah because they believe in you Mm -hmm. yeah exactly personally i I, when doing editorial i'm always thinking about audience i'm kind of the i'm I'm sort of obsessed with audience Mm -hmm. and and how people Mm -hmm. are gonna outside of this are going to receive it um so i use a lot of I don't know. I try to get in a different mindset when I'm reading something. And if something makes me raise my eyebrow in a bad way, <laughs> I usually write it down where it's like, viscerally, I had a weird reaction to this. So I think other people will have a weird reaction to this. Let's fix this. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. I had trouble following this, blah, blah, blah. It's like finding out how other people are going to receive this. Personally, That that's usually what I focus on the most mm-hmm. in editorial, which is why I think sometimes I might be a little bit harsher than Becca, who's <laughs> like, like you said, trying to adjust things. Um, oh, you know that I'm. You know that I'm very harsh when I. Uh, well, when you, when, when you... I don't try. When I, I used to be well, harsher than I am. I've softened a little bit. But I mean, the thing is, well, I I, agree, I absolutely agree with you about audience, and I think sometimes the most valuable question I've asked people is, "What's going on here?" <laughs> you know, it's true because the yeah. moment I'm confused about something. That's where we dig into something that's not working, you know? Yeah, no, exactly like that. And, and But also just kind of like, this made this will make somebody feel this way. Mm-hmm. Was that the intent? Or like, this made mm-hmm. me a little bit uncomfortable, and so therefore I think other people will make it uncomfortable. So, like, I do believe in catering to the creator and, and you know, being nice to them and, and nurturing them. And like you said, there's a psychological component in there. I, I don't want to tear people down and have them cry every time I send them a message. I mean, sometimes you're going to cry because everybody you know, cries when they get um, critique they, they didn't want. Like, it's just, it's hard to take. And that's fine. You're allowed to cry. <laughs> like, <laughs> cry and then go back and read the emails. That's totally valid. But I also, like, I sort of put the audience on this pedestal that I, I feel like both of us should be catering to. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and I don't mean in, in the sense that, you know, somebody on the Twitter said they wanted this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, thinking about, Everything is to coddle the feelings of the reader, to guide them in a certain direction, to make them feel a certain way, to be engaged and understand what's happening and stuff. Anyway, that, that's what I consider the, one of the more important parts of editing is to be that person outside of them after the creator has gone through this inter- incredibly personal process of making creative work and then being like, all right, we're a little bit done with you. How about everybody who would receive it? Now let's let's start catering to them, if that makes sense. It's quite late. All quite tired. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like use the word I catering. I think that's like, and that might not be the right word. Uh, like, but I, I mean, I think you're absolutely right about like thinking about the outside perspective and thinking about how people are going to receive it. Because mm-hmm. I think it's easy when you're creating something to get a little bit in your own head and only think about the way. Like, I actually, <laughs> this is a good example. <laughs> I was hanging out with friends yesterday, and. Uh, they kind of got into a fight over there's an Asian character in Get Out, uh, the movie that came out this year. I'd completely forgotten that there was an Asian character. And my friend who's Taiwanese American was furious about how this Asian character was depicted. And I was like, this just didn't even come up on my radar, although it kind of should have. Um, And like, I didn't totally agree with her point, but I thought that it was like, the reason why she was upset totally made sense at the same time. and it was just like, it was a good example of, yeah, just kind of being aware of how things are going to be received. Like, yeah. you're never going to please everybody. Yes. And you should try and please everybody. But you have to be thinking about how it looks on the other side. Yeah. Um, and I think that's very much the editor's job is to kind of to think about that. And the way I usually look at it, and this is particularly when I'm working on 
uh, licensed manga and doing uh, adaptations mm -hmm. is I don't want there to be anything in the script that takes the reader out of the story, mm -hmm. whether it's a word that I use that's confusing, whether it's something that's unclear because there aren't enough words used or because I use the wrong word. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing about English adaptation is that like you want to use the right words very carefully. Like there's so much nuance in Japanese that's conveyed through grammar rather than <laughs> vocabulary. So that if you're not choosing the words in English properly, then it just doesn't make any sense. And there's like, there's no antecedents and there's no kind of subject of the sentence the proper way. <laughs> and there's oh, ways yeah. that sort of character is conveyed through grammatical choices that if you lose that grammatical layer, everything just becomes really flat. And uh, you have to kind of replace that somehow. And because English is such a huge vocabulary, you replace it with word choice. Mm -hmm. And a mediocre translator doesn't have the vocabulary or doesn't think to use the vocabulary to really convey that meaning. And an overly aggressive editor, English adaptation, adds too much new vocabulary or like vocabulary that's not appropriate. And then it becomes distracting for a different reason. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that's specifically true for adaptation, but I think it's something that's more generally true in like overall is that you you want your consumer to be absorbed in the narrative that you're telling, whatever format it is. And you only want to break them out of it for very deliberate reasons. Like sometimes mm. you do want them to be like, whoa, what the fuck? Or like, <laughs> oh, I didn't yeah. understand that. Like sometimes you want to create that dissonance, but if you're yeah. doing it by accident, that's a mistake. Yeah, yeah, that's there aren't very many things you can do wrong. I think creatively, like I don't, that's not my place to judge that. But yeah, creating dissonance accidentally, that's a mistake. <laughs> yeah. And we were talking about, you know, the relationship between the editor and the and the creator and the, the partnership, the, the meeting them, the, the developing something together. <laughs> I think it's also important when, when you have an editor working with you on something, they should be really into this project. And they usually are <laughs> because it's their job. They have to kind of be there at the ground level. But I think there becomes a point in a good editorial relationship where they, as a partner, are telling you something <laughs> that's, like, really personal. So, I like, to think of the most extreme, embarrassing example, mm -hmm. if, like, <laughs> they start recognizing what your kinks are, and they're like, uh, maybe you should tone down on everybody talking about the shape of each other's feet. You know, like... <laughs> Like, I feel like this is just gonna, like, I, I know you like feet, and that's fine, but, like, I feel like other people are gonna find this odd, um, or a, in a less, you know, extreme example of that, there were times where I was working with Rebecca where she'd be like, okay, what that character just did was out of character. And, like, by its definition, it can't be out of character if the person who wrote the character wrote it. <laughs> but right. it's true that there, there are elements where it's like, well, this is not the way that you've been developing this person, that doesn't kind of, it, it, like you were saying, it takes you out of it. There's like a little bit of a cognitive dissonance there. It doesn't sound yeah. like the person that you've been building. And th that's always a little bit weird where it's like, oh, she wouldn't do that. It's like, who are you to fucking tell me that she wouldn't do that? <laughs> she does what I say. That's what creating a creator is. Yeah, yeah, and yet, I made you rewrite an entire scene at four in the morning because your characters were not being a character. So, apparently yeah, some I of us were right in that particular instance. Well, yeah, not, you were. It's right, maybe not like she wouldn't do that, but like you haven't explained why she would do that. Yeah, like, people yeah. behave in unpredictable ways all the time. Oh yeah, because their motivations aren't externally visible. Mm -hmm. So like you have to justify, like, okay, they did that. They stabbed that person. Why did they stab that person? Yeah. Oh, they had a psychotic break. Uh, but, you know, well, that's the first time we've ever heard of that, but okay. But I, I um, definitely also heard readers say this that, that this is not an uncommon. Uh, criticism, and I'm not just talking yeah. about fan fiction either. The people are like, I feel like this person was kind of out of character in this in this volume. Yeah, yeah. Or, and and like as weird as that is to say, that that's a valid criticism that yeah. it doesn't like the person that you were building. So I mean, I've read I've read multiple published books where the big twist was that a good guy was bad in some way, or a person you thought had a reliable narrative was not actually reliable. Where I sat down after that and was like, okay, you kind of ruined the story. Because that doesn't make any sense. And I know you're yeah. just going for the twist, you know what I mean? Like Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Something that doesn't make sense in the broader tone of what you were you were or what you were not necessarily what you were aiming for, but what you were getting across in the world. Yeah, before. yeah. And I don't want people to take that personally when somebody tells them that because it's probably gonna come up at a point. Um and hopefully your editor is gonna be nice about it and say like <laughs> 
this just doesn't feel like something they would do, or I'm not sure why they're doing it as opposed to 4 a.m. No, rewrite it. <laughs> to but, be fair, uh, you were in my house. Uh, Leanne and I have a weird editorial relationship, so, uh, <laughs> you know. Well, if you get to that point with somebody, then yes, they can make you do it whenever. They can be the yeah, whip cracker. I'm pretty sure you woke me up to edit it. Yeah, maybe. So I think I feel I feel pretty justified. Cruelty both ways. That's fair. <laughs> it's all in balance. Mm, anyway. But yeah, oh. find, find somebody who meshes with you. I know we've said this a couple times, but like, if the relationship is not working, if they make you miserable, if you feel like they really don't get you, see if you can get a new editor. I know not everybody has that. In fact, most people don't really have that privilege, but like, I read a story, I can't remember if we brought this up on another podcast, but you guys know you want to say, the creator, she did Shigyugi yeah. and Ayase um, no Seres and Aratan stuff, and she had this horror story of, I feel like maybe it was about five years ago, I think it was her original editor on Arata, which is her show, like, her basically her only shonen series. She had this guy who, this editor who made her life of living hell, that He'd never liked anything that she did. He'd always make her go back and change everything. He would, I guess he would be in like, you know, they'd be having meetings. He'd suggest some things. She'd do things and he'd be like, no, it's, it's not right. And make her do it again. And she was like, I, I don't, for a while, I didn't even know why I was creating anything anymore. Cause I knew it was just going to be turned back and I have to change it all anyway. And this is like a woman who, I don't know if I want to say she was at the peak of her career, but was hot shit, like high level, really important, had tons of bestsellers behind her. And she had an editor that made her not want to create anymore because he was so demanding and unclear. And like, she didn't understand his logic at all. And, and then would also, I, I'm trying to remember this right. So don't totally quote me on this, but I think was even like, oh, you just don't get shonen. Oh, God. <laughs> like this is a genre thing that you don't understand. And like, she eventually got a new editor and, and, she was like, thank God. Like, and she knew that mm -hmm. it was a bad editor, but he still made her life a living hell. And to, to think mm -hmm. that you could be that successful and, are, you know, probably confident. I don't think you want to say ever struggled from self-doubt because, my God, she produces. So I, I don't think that she was getting hit with blocks a lot of her. She just drew right through them. I don't know. <laughs> but it, that relationship can be incredibly destructive if it's somebody who you, mm -hmm. you, you know, they, they make you nervous every time you get an email from them. They just... You know, there were one or two people I worked with in the industry, pretty rare because a lot of them aren't in, you know, like most people who are that terrible don't stay in the industry because <laughs> they get complaints <laughs> and they're not getting good material out of their creators because they're making their creators miserable. But there are one or two people I worked with, it's like every email I got them was, from them was dread because they, everything was a criticism. Everything was, mm. was, they would fly off the handle at me and, you know, it happens. I, I, I don't want people to let the fear of that make them be afraid of editors because I do know that a lot of people have that general anxiety because they're not ready to share their work they're not ready to have it criticized and they're also worried about a really toxic editor but the good news is those people are really in the minority if you can stay your own your own biggest fan if if you believe in what you you did even if it's not perfect as Rebecca had said and Lillian had said this too it doesn't have to be perfect it's a process but if you believe okay I tried really hard on this that will help shield you a little bit from some of the natural difficulties of sharing it with other people, and then some of the unusual, you know, like if there are toxic people tearing you apart. Because here's the other good piece of news. If an editor is not going to tear you down, there are plenty of people on the internet who will just tear you down. Oh, Sometimes for valid reasons, often for not valid reasons. I know it's always harder to hear from an editor, but there's always going to be people who hate your work and think that you're... You're terrible. You don't deserve what you have. You took a job from somebody who is more worthy. You're ruining the industry. Everybody is dumber now for the thing that you read. I mean, these people... It, I mean, the internet is full of people who really enjoy hating us. Oh, God. <laughs> but I think one of my very first professional jobs, the email I got in response was about how I'd let down all the fans. Oh, oh God. <laughs> yeah. No. That, oh. that was yeah, awful. Yeah, we're thinking of the same editor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we might be. I was so like proud of it and I'd worked really hard and I'd made a couple I'd I'd made some mistakes about like what versions of the names we were using kind of thing or whatever, but like I'd worked really hard and then I got the email back saying how upset they were and how I let down all the fans. It was a huge deadline and yeah. that was her first response to it was like for something very basic was like <laughs> you're letting all the fans I mean, what a terrible she was not good. No. <laughs> and not good at dealing. She might have been a very gifted editor, but she was not good at dealing with people. And we both worked for her, and she both made our lives kind of hellish for a while. So, I mean, 
But she left. I don't know if she's an editor anymore. So regardless, I mean, I can laugh at it at this yeah. point, obviously. Oh, another another point, and this is kind of related, just very quickly. Have somebody you can commiserate to when you're mad at your editor, <laughs> and oh, do not let it be public. Okay, th- this is like two sides of the same coin, right? Like it is important to when you're mad at someone, it's okay if you're going to rant about them, and be like, I don't know what they were talking about. Ah, you know, punch your pillow. But it's you know sometimes getting a sounding board like your spouse or a friend or, or somebody on the internet and be like, oh, I can't believe they said this, blah, blah, blah. But keep that private. I cannot emphasize that enough. If you are a professional and you are in a professional process and you badmouth it on the internet, mm-hmm. you will probably lose your job. Yeah. And, and for good reason. Keep in this mind that do <laughs> as part of our job, we are always Googling the name of our magazine and the name of our series and stuff like that. So we're going to find it if you put it on the internet. So just, you know, this has happened in the past. Um, <laughs> I, you won't necessarily get fired every time, but it's a big problem when somebody sees you bad mouthing the company, sees you bad mouthing the editorial process. Not only might you lose your job or your editor is just going to be mad at you or, you know, because you're, you're hurting the editor's feelings as well. The company is mm-hmm. going to look at you as a troublemaker, but also other companies are going to be like, well, this person cannot handle things professionally because part of being professional is being discreet and not trash talking, you know, the people you work with. By the same token, your editors are not going to go online and bitch about you in a, in a way that anybody would be able to follow. Sometimes they bitch in a general sense. But like, if your editor goes online and complains about you as a creator, they should mm-hmm. also be fired. Oh god. <laughs> like mm-hmm. this is a very yeah. private process. And there are a lot of hurt feelings and sometimes they're valid and sometimes they're just, you know, it, it's hard to hear. So like the process is emotional as it by its very nature but like you've got to learn how to handle it um and and especially privately do not scream at your editor for not understanding you do not refuse to work with somebody because they criticized you once and definitely do not talk shit on the internet unless you're ready to lose that job i mean that's yeah that's good advice in general don't talk shit about the people you work with on the internet where they can read it yeah and i, yeah, I, mean I, I kind of say my my general policy is don't talk shit about anybody on the internet who's not yeah. a public figure yeah well, yeah and even I, then I, yeah. maybe think twice about it yeah i mean like i've talked shit about like donald trump but like not yeah. you know president. nobody it's in the comics president. industry it's your civic duty to criticize the president all right <laughs> yes i mean maybe yes. you, get, you become Maybe you become kind of childish about it, but like you're supposed to criticize yeah. the president. I mean, the dude has power <laughs> over all of us. But yeah, I, I agree that trash talking online in specifics is bad, but also like, you know, anything that's kind of identifiable, unless this is a whistleblower situation where you're like, okay, I have to expose that there's unethical processes at this company. And the whistleblowers do not expect to keep their jobs. Mm. <laughs> A lot of people will do that after they quit, you know, as part of their resignation and stuff. And those people, a lot of them, they face blackballing and stuff. So be mm-hmm. very, very careful about what you talk about in this sense. And if, like, you know, what Lillian had said earlier about, like, taking a step away from your work, you should also take a step away from the editorial process with, with the criticism and stuff. You need to sleep on it because your initial reaction is going to be very emotional. Creating is so emotional. That's why it has why when you make art it elicits an emotional reaction out of other people that's in its very very nature if you're not sensitive about your work sometimes it's like do you not care about it (laughs) a little bit i mean some people have will of you know willpower of steel but it's totally it's a good thing to be sensitive about your work but learn how to handle that in a way that's tactful (laughs) so yeah any any final notes about that find a good editor yeah Obviously, I think we all believe really strongly in the editorial process and in taking media and polishing it to make it the best that it can be, which is, you know. Oh, one other point, actually. You talk about we believe in editorial. You don't need a professional editor to edit your work, just to be clear. I know a lot of people are familiar with beta readers who are kind of like the one of the very low level stages of editorial. They usually kind of read it and give you an opinion, a general opinion, although some people are very detailed beta beta readers, so they're essentially editors. Um, it, you don't need to have this all in a professional context. You can just do it with buddies. Like, that's what writing groups do. Like, everybody will kind of edit each other's work and give feedback and stuff. If you want to edit other people's work and, and you can find somebody who wants to work with you and everything, like, that's really great. Like, if you want to be an editor and want to help somebody with their stuff, that is such a valuable thing that you can give to somebody. You will be a, an essential part of that process if this is a good relationship. So, 
I know there uh, we've bumped into some people in the web comics industry who are like, I'm really interested in becoming a comics editor. Like you're probably not going to get paid for it at least right right away, um, if you're doing it for just kind of like I want to try it with somebody's prog- project. But if you're a big fan of somebody and and you know them like in, in real life or you just have a long relationship with them online or something, you say, hey, I want to be a beta or whatever. That's really great. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people getting an editor is almost always going to make their work better. I mean, we all believe in it. Obviously, editorial work is super satisfying too. So if people are kind of scared about this process, you can always try to do it yourself with somebody you love and trust, and you know you can be honest <laughs> with. <laughs> Not a complete yeah. stranger on the internet. I think that was in another podcast we talked about. Like, don't offer unsolicited uh, criticism. <laughs> Yeah. To somebody's face. Yeah, I was your first editor when we were both, like, 16. Yeah. Yeah, you read my terrible... I read Rain, and I gave you, like, two pieces of criticism, because I didn't know how to critique yet. And then I read I read What's Children a- of the Sky, and I yeah. told you that one of your characters' personalities didn't make any sense, and then we went from there. Well, yeah, it, it can be as simple as just your buddy writes a story, and you, you read it, and you're like, oh, I really liked that. I especially liked this. And then mm-hmm. it just evolves. Don't don't come out of the gate with the criticism. I, again, that was like I feel like that was like two podcasts ago. We were saying, do not make the first thing you tell somebody a harsh criticism. That's bad in, in every respect. <laughs> Good news yeah, first, like, guys. Let's, let's just <laughs> let's just all not crush each other's dreams because I feel like there's enough of that yeah, bullshit yeah. going around at like art school and just absolutely from people's moms and truth. stuff. You know, <laughs> internet, internet, the internet in general. <laughs> Just everybody stop crushing each other's dreams and accept that it's part of a process and just try to make your work and the work of the people around you as good as you can. Yeah, that's beautiful. Hooray! <laughs> Anything else, Lily, you want to add? Or? Nope. Get out there and make art. Yeah. Be proud of it. Enjoy the polishing process. Yeah, learn, learn to love your own work, even if it's like really, really hard to at first. Yeah. All right. Uh, on that note, it's like real late on the uh, the East Coast where Leanne and I are. So I think we're all going to call it a night. Yay. Thank you all so much for listening. We will be back next month with another podcast on who even knows what topic. Uh, but we hope you enjoyed this and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.